This is the uh, Prayer for Freedom out of the Four Agreements book by uh, Don Miguel Ruiz. Today, creator of the universe, we ask that you come to us and share with us a strong communion of love. We know that your real name is love, that to have a communion with you means to share the same vibration, the same frequency that you are, because you are the only thing that exists in this universe. Today, Help us be like you are, to love life, to be life, to be love. Help us to love the way you love, with no conditions, no expectations, no obligations, without any judgment. Help us to love and accept ourselves without any judgment, because when we judge ourselves, we find ourselves guilty and we need to be punished. Help us to love everything you create unconditionally, especially other human beings, especially those who live around us, all our relatives and people whom we try so hard to love. Because when we reject them, we reject ourselves. And when we reject ourselves, we reject you. Help us love others uh, just the way they, they are with no conditions. Help us to accept them the way they are without judgment, because if we judge them, we find them guilty, we blame them, and we have the need to punish them. Today, clean our hearts of any emotional poison that we have. Free our minds from any judgment so that we can live in complete peace and complete love. Today is a very special day. Today, we open our hearts to love again so that we can tell each other, I love you, without any fear and really mean it. Today, we offer ourselves to you, Come to us, use our voices, use our eyes, use our hands, and our, use our hearts to show ourselves in a communion of love with everyone. Today, Creator, help us to be just like you are. Thank you for everything that we receive this day, especially for the freedom to be who we really are. Amen. this on. Can you hear me? Oh, all right. Hi. Good morning. Um, So I recently came across a video on Facebook, and it was part of a series called The Daily Nos, and it's this Palestinian guy who goes around the world, and he makes videos to open people's eyes up to different issues, great things that are happening around the globe, and various prejudices that people have. And he's, at one point, he's, he's making a video in a beautiful alleyway in Jerusalem. And it's in an, an Orthodox Jewish neighborhood. And he has grown up in the Palestinian part of Jerusalem and in an Arab culture. And he decides to um, set up his video station right there. And I don't know what he's making a video about, but he's sitting there and an Orthodox Jewish man walks by and they start exchanging pleasantries. And the, the Jewish guy's curious about what he's doing and he says, you know, show me, tell me more about this. How many likes do you get? And it comes out that this guy is Arab. And the Jewish man is really taken aback. And he says, no, you're, you can't be Palestinian. You're French because you're too intelligent to be Palestinian. Palestinians are barbaric. And so they go back and forth. And this Palestinian guy is stunned. He's like, hi. wait, what? I, I know I'm not French. I'm Palestinian. I'm Arab. I grew up right there. And the... 
Jewish man's sister then walks by. She's 15 years old, and he says, this guy claims he's Palestinian. He thinks he's an Arab. He's French. And she says, oh, no, all Palestinians are terrorists. They're barbaric. They want to kill us. And then, you know, so it just it's unfolds, and this guy's still taken aback. And um, later on, there is a group of Orthodox Jewish people who walk by, and they give this Daily Nas guy a hug. They know he's Palestinian. They know he's Muslim, and they, they're fine with it. But the whole video is there to illustrate that a lot of people are harboring deep prejudices around the world. And not everybody is, but his point is not all Palestinians are terrorists. Most of them aren't. Most Arabs are not terrorists. And, that, and, and, and most Jews don't believe that, right? But he's just trying to dispel some of the prejudices. And I think that I was thinking about that video, and I had just been in India And as someone with a tremendous language barrier in a place where there are about a thousand languages and about a thousand religions represented, I felt really insecure and I felt fearful, and I felt some of my prejudices coming up. And I think that all of us, as we've grown up in our own stories, have these fears because that we don't understand a culture, we don't understand the language. Um, Emmett Fox, he's the author of the Sermon on the Mount. He wrote, it is this basic feeling of being separate from God that fills man with fear. And under the dominion of fear, he does strange things. He believes he is on his own and must fight his own way in the jungle of human experience. This belief in the separation of God from God is the major tragedy of human existence, giving rise to many negative things that are faults of belief, not of fact. So when we're all first born, we're not filled with this fear. We don't have beliefs yet, right? We're held and we're nurtured. We trust, hopefully, most of us, and we aren't filled with that. And then we begin the domestication process. We start being filled with beliefs by our surroundings. As Don Miguel Ruiz, in his book, The Four Agreements, um, he talks about the story that we all get brought up in. The adults around us hooked our attention and put information into our minds through repetition. We learned how to behave in society, what to believe and what not to believe, what is acceptable and what is not acceptable, what is good and what is bad, what is beautiful and what is ugly, what is right and what is wrong. It was all there already, all that knowledge, all those rules and concepts about how to behave in the world. And then depending on the era or the region or the country or the climate, your race, political persuasion, religion, all this conditioning looked very different for every single person in this world. There were even differences in how we were shaped within our own families. Two siblings could grow up developing different attitudes and beliefs based on gender roles, based on birth order, brain chemistry plays a role, obviously, peer groups, teachers, and so on. So here we are. It's a whole planet full of people with opposing viewpoints and beliefs that, that get fueled, and then the, the conflicts, and they get fueled by all the sources and the media sources that perpetuate our fears. And unfortunately, there's something new in the news every day to get into conflict with and attack. In some cases, such as the ongoing struggle over the Gaza Strip, or the rivalry between India and Pakistan, or the effects of 68 million refugees around the world. These conflicts can threaten livelihood or can even be life-threatening, which make these fears really real and very understandable. 
So I was in a counseling session recently, and our therapist showed us a Venn diagram. And if you're familiar with Venn diagrams, it's the two circles, and they overlap. And so if you're comparing like a dog and a cat, you show the differences in the outer circles, and then the part that they overlap, that's where you show their t- the similar traits. Um, and in a relationship, it, the, it starts in symbiosis. It's one circle. A couple operates as one. Um, when they fall in love, and they're inseparable at first, and they are intoxicated by learning about each other, and they they reveal their best selves. Anytime we meet someone new, that person is mirroring our very best self, and so we feel like we're in symbiosis with ourselves as well. They can't stand to be apart because their best sides are activated when they're together. And then, of course, as we all know, the chemistry wears off, and the, the reality sets in, and we have to go on with our lives, and we get comfortable, and then the relationship, and, and the excitement, of course, wears off, and they migrate back to the personas that they had before the relationship developed. And um, this persona was developed over time through schooling, through family, church, if you went to church, peer groups, neighborhoods, and all the conditioning that they were subjected to, which colored the lens through which they experienced the world. If the relationship is healthy, the circles overlap like a Venn diagram, and these two beings enjoy their independence, but they nurture the intersection of things they share in common. In an unhealthy relationship, these circles start to drift apart, and then you have two floating circles, and there's no longer any common ground. And then this results in criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling, if you're familiar with the John Gottman work. And when it feels like that, you spend less time together, and so you're really not nurturing that common ground space. When couples exist in this separate state and these behaviors enter the scene, it becomes harder and harder to repair the relationship and find that compatibility again. What gets activated from these two circles is the guilt and the shame that they learned early in life when they didn't meet the expectations of those who were trying to condition them. They feel misunderstood and invisible, and the light that once shone when they were together in symbiosis gets dimmed and the eyes cast downward. This really got me thinking about the state of our world today and the chasm between nations, religions, races, political parties, cities, neighborhoods, friends, and family members. Sometimes it feels as if we're at war with anything who sees things differently than we do, which is evidenced on social media with impulsive and sometimes vicious comment threads. Recently, I was on the um, Roaring Fork Swap, and somebody mentioned there was a lion, like a mountain lion sighting in Glenwood Springs, and you wouldn't believe. There were 50 comments, and they just people started attacking each other just because there was a mountain lion sighting. It's amazing. <laughs> Opinions without accountability get blasted, and people make hostile character attacks on people they don't know beyond the screen. When, and then when topics such as gun rights and abortion, immigration, and climate change come up, that can activate a physical reaction within us. And it comes from a desire to protect a freedom or belief or livelihood that feels threatened. And this threat, it's like a fight-or-flight trigger, and it makes our frontal cortex flip, exposing our primal brain, the most prim- primitive brain that's all based on survival. And, when, and it prevents us from li- really listening and understanding all sides of the issue or the person that we're in conflict with. This is the same physical and emotional feeling we get when we feel misunderstood, judged, attacked, dismissed in a relationship. Whether it's a political issue or an interpersonal drama, 
All of our responses are based in fear. The fear of change, the fear that something will be taken away from us, like a freedom, the fear of rejection, the fear of being wrong, and of being alone. This fear keeps us in our circles out here, and it clouds our vision because we're just filled and we're, we're activated, we're living from the primitive brain. I've witnessed my own extended family and my friends' extended families step into different circles that are drifting farther apart in, the, in today's climate. As these family members spend less and less time together, connecting in ways that generate laughter and good memories, the space between them is taken up by contempt, criticism, and assumptions. When there was a shared experience in the joy of weddings and births and holidays and the bonding over loss and hardship has now been replaced by limited communication and blocked social media posts. At least that's what's happened in my family. Because the issues are so contentious, everyone is afraid to get together. Because so many topics are either taboo, or maybe we're all afraid that our position is going to be challenged. Any disagreement with our position is taken as a personal attack because our identities are tied up in our beliefs. Okay, which goes back to Emmett Fox. So we avoid family and community gatherings unless we know that we'll be surrounded by like-minded people, since our tendency is to identify with the mind over the heart. And as a result, we spend less time together, leading to less compassion and understanding because the overlap between the circles has diminished. This is the dynamic going on today's political climate, obviously. The two parties have become so fundamentally different each moving in opposite directions that we can hardly engage in a friendly debate without being completely provoked. Perhaps because of the Internet, we feel that there's more contempt and hatred than ever before. Or maybe these divisions have existed throughout time, leading to wars and ethnic cleansing. But whether this is a new and growing phenomenon or a condition that has persisted throughout time, there must be a better way to exist on this planet. There must be a way to nurture the overlapped area of human relationships and world religions, races, political parties, and socioeconomic groups to create mutual, mutual respect and coexistence among all people and species. But first, we must become aware of the conditioning from which we react to the people and situations we encounter. We must catch ourselves when we are, find ourselves judging and making assumptions and investigate why. <coughs> And if we want to maintain civility without contempt, we must try to understand where people we disagree with are coming from. Who were they expected to be as they grew up? And what did their experiences teach them? Perfect opportunities for conflict are the blending of families through marriage and the blending of cultures through human migration. When families converge and young couples write their own stories, which reflect their own generation, Everyone's stories get involved, and the stories are filled with pages of shoulds, right? We all come with our shoulds. And this is bound to create conflict, leading to hard feelings and separated circles within families. Or perhaps the cost of housing causes people to migrate into less expensive towns, and the values they bring with them don't align with the values with the older community members. And this can be really threatening. I saw this living in, I grew up in Boulder, And then everybody I knew couldn't afford Boulder, so they moved out to the outlying areas like Longmont, Superior, Lafayette, Louisville, 
Well, these were historically agricultural towns. They were small. They, people had agricultural values, small town values. And suddenly, people from New York and California are coming with their fancy coffee shops. And it, it, it starts to oops, threaten your way of life. And you feel undermined. And it leads to conflict, naturally. Not only that, but population growth impacts everyone due to noise, congestion, and diminishing natural resources. And that's threatening. Everyone comes together in a traffic intersection, right? Everybody, anytime we migrate or blend, we're coming in as a traffic intersection, but each person has driven down a different road. And every different road has different rules and expectations. And then the starting locations that everyone came from had different values and norms. And so the the roads offer different lessons, experiences, and perspectives. And so suddenly we're supposed to solve problems together. (laughs) Don Miguel Ruiz refers to this early conditioning, like our road, in our lives as the book of law. He says, because everything in the book of law has to be true, anything that challenges what you believe is going to make you feel unsafe. Even if the book of law is wrong, it makes you feel safe. When we enter this intersection together, our safety does feel compromised unless we are willing to set our own book of law aside and work with everyone in the intersection with an open heart and mind and to write a new one based on integrated beliefs, experiences, values, and expectations. Right now it feels like we're all in the intersection honking and shaking our fist and God knows what else behind those windows, right? In his book, Everything Belongs, Richard Rohr explores the idea of a beginner's mind. He says, The older we get, the more we've been betrayed and hurt and disappointed, the more barriers we put up to beginner's mind. We must never presume that we see. We must always be ready to see anew. But it's so hard to go back, to be vulnerable, to say to your soul, I don't know anything. If we could integrate this wisdom when we find ourselves among new people in situations that challenge our book of law, we might prevent suffering. Because if we see anew like a young child, then we're curious and open and less likely to damage relationships with the noise in our heads caused by conditioning, old wounds, and fears. Richard Rohr also says, Spirituality is about seeing It's not about earning or achieving. It's about relationship rather than results or requirements. Once you see, the rest follows. You don't need to push the river because you are in it. The life is lived within us, and we learn to say yes to that life. If we exist on a level where we can see that everything belongs, we can trust the flow and trust the life, the life so large and deep and spacious that it even includes its opposite, death. I think this idea is beautiful and it's hard. Because when you wake up and you hear on NPR about the serial killer from Ohio, or you hear about the atrocities around the globe, it is hard to really settle into everything belongs. But the idea that everything belongs can allow conflict and pain without the criticism and contempt that pushes us apart. Life is a river with rapids, rocks, and deep, steep waterfalls. When fear dominates us, though, we react to the obstacles in the river with resistance, creating great conflict within within our relationships and in the world, because whatever's going on internally is manifesting in the world. 
So we're all responsible. But when we let the oars down in surrender and trust, then we know everything and everyone belongs, even if we disagree. We are right now witnessing finger-pointing, condemning, accusing, and defending positions from circles that are miles apart. But what if both circles are right? How do we know what is true and what is right when we're holding on to our position so tightly that we can't hear anything else? How can we learn a different perspective when we're in our own when we're in our primal brain? I recently heard a recovering alcoholic say that her healing began only when her mother started listening to her with curiosity versus anger and reaction or fear. It was the healing began when her mother heard her with curiosity. If we are to use these vast differences of opinion to move towards solutions that honor everyone's human experiences, we must listen to each other with curiosity. Conflict happens when our books of law collide and when our positions are challenged. But the book of law is a costume. Underneath all that identity is the essence of who we really are. And that essence is the pure love that's expressed in symbiosis like an infant and its mother like a new relationship, or in experiencing the holy instant when we finally realized we are are one with everything and everyone. A few years ago, I experienced the sense of symbiosis with every living thing. It came on suddenly in a traffic intersection in Longmont. I suddenly felt the deepest love and compassion for everyone around me, and even including those, actually, especially those who had hurt me the most. For the first time in my life, The spiritual teachings became a physical and emotional experience, and I started sobbing in the middle of this intersection. I felt like I was choking on the feeling of knowing that everything was connected. It was fleeting, but it it left a lasting impression and forever shifted my life. I felt true forgiveness and gratitude for absolutely everything, and I especially felt gratitude for the worst parts of my life. I haven't felt that acute sensation again, But my perspective on relationships and situations became spiritual lessons, helping me understand that everything did belong. But later that same year, I got involved with an activist group dealing with a contentious issue in Longmont. This group offered an opportunity to connect with others. It was really fun to go. They played music. But as I learned more about the issue, I became afraid. I would attend city council meetings, and when people on the other side of the issue walked in, I glared at them with criticism and contempt. I made assumptions about them and their lives. We were the good guys, of course, and they were the bad guys. And the more involved I became in the issue, the less I felt that oneness or symbiosis with life. I felt the separation many of us are experiencing now. What I failed to recognize was the essence of each of these individuals on the opposing side. All I could see was a suit that represented greed and exploitation. I couldn't see their children or their financial motivations to support their families. I didn't see their faces when their babies were born. Excuse me. I didn't see them hold their grandma's hand when she passed away or when they buried their pets. I didn't know what uphill battles they were facing with their children. I didn't see the guilt shame, and loneliness they felt as they grew up in their book of law, different from mine, but created the same feelings of inadequacy. 
I didn't see them as infants with trusting eyes and pure love for all who cared for them. I never saw their look of delight when they took their first steps. Every time we get into conflict with an issue or a person, we must remember that underneath the facade is a human with a wide array of feelings, and they're also fumbling toward the light, making mistakes and learning hard lessons. If you ever take the time in any town or city, see, I've, I've had the privilege of experiencing every town in the American West with the most depressing and rundown gas stations, and I've stayed in some of the worst hotels. My parents are here, and they've taken us to absolutely some of the worst places. <laughs> and, um, and then when I had my own children, we always had to stop and change diapers and go to parks and stretch legs. And um, in that process, I've, I've started to discover the natural beauty in places. So if you've had that chance to walk in a park or go to the open space near a, a depressing town even, without the storefronts, and property taxes, and school test scores, and investments in the arts, or lack thereof. If you look closely and recognize the natural beauty underneath all of that, you connect with it on a deeper level, and you fall in love with it. Like, I I can love Gallup, New Mexico. Um, And it's the same with people. When we take the time to really get to know someone underneath their skin color, underneath their title, their net worth, their zip code, their religion, their parenting style their relationship to technology, or their behavior, we discover that we all weep and we all laugh at the same things. We all want connection, purpose, and love. And the more layers we get through, the more we realize there's one consciousness on this planet. Underneath the masks, costumes, and roles we're playing, there's a symbiotic relationship among all living things. But how do we get there? We can start by healing the relationships in our own lives by welcoming the silence necessary to become aware of how our own stories influence the internal and external conflicts in our lives. Inviting more silence and contemplation reconnects us to our divine essence, which doesn't tolerate mean-spirited retaliation or eye-for-an-eye responses to loved ones or politicians. We can be the first to apologize if there was a hurtful conflict, even if our contribution to the conflict was minimal. We can embrace and celebrate our imperfections to make it safe for others to do the same. We can resist polarity by reaching out to friends and family and fam- that we've distanced ourselves from due to our opposing beliefs. And when we do spend time together, we can try to enjoy each other without an agenda to control or influence them or defend our positions. We can visit places that challenge our book of law and relate to people with a beginner's mind. And if we want to witness the humanity or true essence in all people, we can watch families reunite at the airport or visit hospitals where families welcome new life and say goodbye to loved ones. As the historian Abrajani said, this world's anguish is no different from the love we insist on holding back. We must start with common ground and nurture the parts we share by offering the love we've been withholding. From there, we can, we can stand by our opinions, and we can stand up for ourselves, but in order co- to co-create a peaceful and prosperous world for all, we must first bring our circles back together and find that overlap and recognize the sameness among all of us, which is the essence of God and which is simply love. And then... Um, I have, we have a video to share 
which was my inspiration for this message this morning. And I think it kind of sums it up, but without words. It's beautiful, so 